It is the 16th of May, and I'm Buffy Gorilla on TheConstantInvestor.com, and I'm speaking with curious investor Steve Bolak. Steve, tell me a little bit about yourself. What are you up to at the moment? Well, Buffy, I work um, as what's called a proprietary trader. So what that essentially means is I work for a company where I trade their capital using my own models uh, in the market for different uh, different markets and different products in the market and so forth. How long have you been doing that? Uh, just on, actually just getting under three months at the moment. I worked as a, as a uh, stockbroker for 15 years in Brisbane and uh, this opportunity came up to work for this firm and sat down with them over a period of a couple of, a couple of months and uh, looked into it quite deeply and fell in love with the role and um, haven't looked back since. So tell me a little bit about these models you've developed. What are they based on and how do they inform your investment decisions and can they be applied to everyday investors? Yeah, it's a very good question that because um, when I originally got into the market in 98, it was coming into the height of the, the whole dot-com bubble. And uh, I guess like a lot of other people, I was drawn into the technical analysis side of the market. I was drawn into big gains, fast gains, all of that sort of thing. So in the early years, the focus was really on just purely technical analysis. But what I was finding when the dot-com broke is that the fundamentals is what really counted at the end of the day with all of these companies because a lot of short-term technicals, both positive and negative, would actually be broken and they'd run quite aggressively in the opposite direction. So it really threw the analysis into a bit of a spin when you're purely technical and then the fundamentals are really what's driving the share prices at the end of the day. So over the course of of really 10 years, I went full circle, if you like, and started off with technical analysis, being a stockbroker, that led me into having a very strong fundamental focus uh, on economies and stocks and commodities, that sort of thing. And then fundamentals were also being impacted by larger economic macro themes at the end of the day. So my studies ended up, you know, moving more into economic analysis and really at the end of the day to make money consistently and successfully, you have to sort of embrace, I guess, all three disciplines and just bring them all together to find the best middle point in your investment decisions. And that's really what makes money at the end of the day. Uh, I don't think, you know, you can really heavily rely on just one or the other. There's a lot of, I guess, fundamental recommendations uh, out there at the market at the moment. And a lot, of the, a lot of the analysis is very sound and very good. But when you look at the physical charts themselves, they're still very much locked in downtrends. So there's obviously still more selling pressure going on than buying pressure. So the technicals will then come into it. So when the fund managers really start finding a bottom for these stocks and and the buying pressure starts taking over from the selling pressure, that's what you'll actually see in the charts. And that'll that'll come back to more of a timing uh, mechanism over uh, a qualitative mechanism, if you like, if that makes sense. And are you self-taught or did you study this at school or have a mentor that guided you through all of this? Yeah, God, I really wish I did have a mentor. No, from from the time I got started, and the funny, oh, actually, the funny thing is, when I got started in stockbroking, especially, uh, there was no mentor, there was no guidelines, there was nothing. And when you sat through your exams, your exams were more about 
the legal framework of the markets, not so much as which ratio is better than another ratio and how do you read charts and that sort of thing. So uh, I actually took myself off to... um, uh, it was known as uh, FINCIA back then. So it's the industry body that provides education, uh, I guess, for the financial services industry. And I sat down and did a, um, I did two things. I did a diploma in financial markets, which is exactly what it says. It kind of covers all the market products there and the different theories and, and valuations that live behind those markets. And I also did a diploma in technical analysis. So I guess those two studies is what really created a solid foundation for me in appreciating markets and and working on some sort of decision-making process in what to invest and what to stay away from. So those two courses were very much worth their weight in gold, so to speak. I, I came away from those with a lot of insights and knowledge. And I've never stopped reading. I've, I've probably got a book list that's almost a thousand books long and uh, covering everything from economics to technicals to fundamentals. And there's always some new angle. There's always some new perspective uh, to take on board when looking at markets because markets are always changing. They're never, ever static. And even if you go through previous cycles of booms and busts, Although there's a lot of consistency between them, the underlying mechanics are still somewhat different from the previous boom and bust, and and that's what I mean by markets are always evolving and changing. So I've always got my head buried in books, and uh, I'm always talking to other professionals and and getting their take on markets and what their thinking is. So I guess the learning curve just never, ever stops. You're just buried into it all day, every day. And are you mentoring or being mentored at the moment? No, um, no. I think in the environment that I'm in, everyone is just naturally bouncing ideas off each other. So you're always immersed in the center of the market in what people are thinking, the decisions they're making, the analysis that that underpins those decisions. So it is very much a learning curve um, and and you're drawing that learning from all multiple sources. But but in the strict sense, no, there's no no mentor that sits beside me and there's no one that I'm mentoring at the moment. So, uh, and and that's, that's really why I chose at the very beginning to get into the industry professionally because I knew from the outset if you're going to learn something properly you really have to be in the center of it it's it's almost impossible it's it's like learning how to build a house from the theory books without sort of working in the building industry and learning all the tricks of the trade and financial services is exactly like that or trading markets is exactly like that have you made any mistakes in your time, Steve, that you care to share? Absolutely. I've probably made every mistake you, you can read about in the books. And, and, and even now, you know, you, you tend to jump the gun or you tend to second guess your own analysis or you tend, tend to second guess what the market's going to do next. And, and they're just emotional things that, that draw you into the market. I think it's, it can be pretty dangerous to, to have an absolute conviction on one thing or another in markets, but made heaps of mistakes. Mistakes. mistakes from acting too quickly, uh, not researching something deep enough, making assumptions, uh, listening to the wrong people, uh, following the wrong advice, and and boy, oh boy, and that's the funny thing. I think if someone sat down and wrote a book on all the mistakes that can be made in a market, uh, I think it would be a bestseller, but there's a lot of them there. So, yeah, even that in itself, that that's all part and parcel of the education process, you know, a good example is, you know, there's a lot of uh, narrative out there about the whole gold sector that if the if the world markets, you know, sort of roll over, 
gold will head up. But if you look at the fundamentals, there's actually more gold being produced globally than what's being consumed. And a lot of that consumption's being drawn in by um, by jewellery. So you, you've got to sort of weigh up the fundamentals against the psychology. And that in itself, there's a whole bunch of lessons to be learned from that. But uh, short answer is, yeah, I've made heaps of mistakes through the years, very definitely. Well, thank you for your honesty. And how do you weigh up your investments when you're going in either as a professional or um, as a, your personal investments? Yeah, I, I treat them all exactly the same way. I have software that does all the number crunching for me. So uh, every night or morning, I'll, I'll turn on the software package and I've got my own criteria that's uh, keyed into the computer. So I'll, I'll tell the computer you know, crunch the top 200 stocks today and find me a short list of companies that meet XYZ criteria. So that may produce a, a list of maybe 100, 100 stocks to look at. And then visually, I'll, I'll run through each of the charts of those stocks, uh, just looking for those setups that, that I've recognised to be, to be quite optimal or quite good. And uh, that list will then come down to maybe 10 stocks and then I'll run those 10 stocks through a series of fundamental filters. So I'll be checking debt ratios, EPS profiles, catalysts for growth that sit within the company. Um, I'll just try and get as much as I can a, a holistic picture of what their financial situation is and what the story is behind the numbers and where the company is going. And that process will then take those 10 stocks you know, down to, you know, one or two. Sometimes I won't get any. It'll have to wait, you know, a couple of days. But very generally, if you're going through that process every single day, two things come out of it. You always find something that's either undervalued or overvalued if you're, if you're tending to sort of go both long and short. And the other thing is you get to tend to see what's happening across the broader market. So a good example of that, if you, if you go back, say, a month or so ago, Every night that I was scanning the markets, the, the property companies, the REITs, kept coming up as very aggressive upward-trending companies. And now, just in the last couple of weeks, you're actually seeing a reversal of that trend. So getting into the habit of scanning the market every night and visually you know, covering all of those short selections of stocks, it starts to, to sort of fill in the picture of where the market's sitting at the moment and which industry sectors are starting to move. And it's a very good habit that I think investors need to get into. But you've really got to set aside maybe a couple of hours a night minimum uh, to be able to, to do that. And if you don't have access to a platform, like I'm assuming you do because you are a professional, how would you recommend people have that ease of analyzing the stocks that they might want to invest in. Do you have any tips? Yeah, to, to be very honest, there's no free way of actually doing it effectively because in the world, we all know you get exactly what you pay for. So when you start using free tools, you'll find that the functionality is very limited. They're very clunky to use. But I suppose the cheapest way, I've only just recently gone through this exercise looking at all the software providers out there. I think unbiasedly, I don't own Metastock, but um, I think that's probably a software package that I think has a lot of merit. And, uh, and that's mostly because of the data fees. When people are buying software packages, it's not about the upfront cost. It's always about the data fees because the data fees are the ones that will kill you in terms of your month-to-month, -month, I guess, cash flows. And I think when I was looking at Metastock several weeks ago, I think 
you know, for the Aussie market, you'd be paying something like $35 a month uh, just for the Aussie market. If you wanted the global markets, I think that comes in at something like a couple hundred dollars a month. But I think Metastock probably offers great value. Other people have said to me that uh, I think it's stockcharts.com. Um, oh, no, sorry, forget that. Incredible Charts. It's an Aussie firm, and uh, they make end-of-day data available for about $30 uh, $30 a month, and that also includes, I think, US data as well. But again, they're two packages I don't own and I don't use, but I have sort of looked into both of them, and especially that second one. A few people have recommended to me that that's a pretty good a pretty good starting point. And I would also like to clarify, not endorsed by the constant investor, as we have not ever researched those either. <laughs> no, just in case. <laughs> yes. Um, our public service announcement from Steve and Buffy. Yes. Um, we don't endorse these I know, these we products. don't endorse these products. What sort of stocks are you looking at the moment and seem interesting based on your analysis? Well, Buffy, I, when I build the portfolio, I'm always thinking of risk, uh, whether it's personal or, or professional. You've always got to be asking yourself, what's the downside? And, and a really good example of that is there's a few companies I've bought just literally in the last three or four days and um, the fundamentals read well, the numbers stack up, the technicals look good. And as soon as you buy them, they don't just turn the opposite way. They turn the opposite way in a very aggressive manner. They just get dumped. So that's when your fundamentals really come into play because a lot of people who are pure technicians might look at that and be shaken out of the stock and, and turn and sort of move away to something else. But through the years, I've seen how these aggressive moves can turn around on a, on a diamond, so to speak, and reverse back up in the direction that you originally thought they would move in. So sometimes you've just got to sit on the side of the fence, let the market gyrations play out, and just stick to the original reasons that you got into the stock or got out of the stock for that matter. So you mentioned this list of 1,000 books on your bedside table. One, you must have a very sturdy bedside table. And two, what are some of those books and what could we be reading to make ourselves better informed investors? Do you know what, Buffy? I've got a a spreadsheet. It's about 1,000 books deep. And I literally went to Google and typed in best of books or, or best lists and you know company or all your big I guess publishing houses and financial firms they all produce these best of 100 lists and I literally went through those and I also went through Amazon looking for certain topics and the key thing that I do when I go to Amazon I do read the reviews I like to read those and uh, and I especially go to the one stars first a lot of people will naturally gravitate to the five stars but I always go to the one stars I like to know why people don't like a book and sometimes the key valuation for buying the book will live inside those one star ratings and some of the five stars you know the ones that give a deeper multi-paragraph explanation uh, they're also good to read I also look at the table of contents the more time you spend in the market the more you start to I guess, understand what it is you're looking for in a book. And so I always go through the table of contents. So that thousand-odd book list has been a combination of going through best-of lists that I've come across on Google, uh, book review recommendations, going through tables of contents and um, and um, just going through, I guess, book reviews themselves on Amazon. And it's just been a collection of all of those titles put together. But what's really interesting is that more so in Australia and the UK than the US, we have this new product called CFDs that's been around for, I don't know, six or seven odd years. 
And I've just been finished reading a book that was written in 1688, and it was on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. It's the first book that I can find on financial markets. So it's about the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. And the book is essentially a conversation between three people, a merchant, uh, a shareholder, and uh, I forget who the other person was. And the the shareholder is explaining to the other two people what the stock market is all about and all the games and the tricks that are played on the market. And Buffy, I can tell you, reading through that book, it was so amazing because everything that I'm reading in this book that was three, four hundred odd years ago is exactly what happens today. And the reason I mentioned CFDs is that they actually had CFDs on the Amsterdam Exchange back in that point in time. They gave it a different name, of course, but the description on what it was being a derivative of the larger product, and it's not directly quoted on the exchange, it's created by market makers you know, who are off the exchange, it, it fitted the bill exactly. So in that sense, there was really nothing new under the sun. And when you read these books and you, you read it... I feel like that sounds a little bit depressing after 400 years, there's been no evolution in the stock market or investment. Well, it, it, you're right when you say that, but there's also a level of consistency. So when, when you understand human nature works, uh, I was watching a video uh, just a couple of days ago, and the commentator was talking about Bitcoin. Now, I don't know too much about Bitcoin. I'm still trying to get my head around it because it doesn't actually exist. It's not like a chunk of nickel or a chunk of gold that you can hold in your hand, you can store it, pass it on. Bitcoin is completely virtual. So I'm still trying to understand it. But this commentator went through to say, you watch, when Bitcoin gets over, I think it's $2,000 a coin or something, he said, you watch the mad rush. Everyone through fear of missing out will jump on the back of this Bitcoin and they'll push it to astronomical levels. And he said, that's just a future bubble waiting to burst and happen. And I sat back and thought about it. And I realized this guy is probably dead set correct. I should not be rushing out, <laughs> this is me personally, to put money into something that I don't understand. And that's probably the first rule of investing. Never, ever, ever, ever put your money into something you do not understand. You've got to spend a bit of time, buy a few books, talk to a few people who are involved in it and really get to know the product or the asset very well before you um, commit real money to it. Steve? What a great chat. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks for your time, Buffy. This is Buffy Gorilla, and I've been speaking with Steve Bolak, one of our curious investors.